Well, let's get a couple of things cleared up uh, right here at the beginning. Um, my wife did not pick out this outfit. I'm wearing this in rebellion to her because, well, <laughs> it's, it's a whole deal. But, I, you know, I was thinking I was going to spend my whole life at a church where I had to wear, you know, a suit and tie. And then I found out you guys were super cool. And then uh, we had these ugly Christmas sweaters. And I was like, I'd like to rock an ugly Christmas sweater. And my wife said, when? I said, on a weekend. She says, I don't think so. And I said, I think so. And she said, I don't think you should. And I think I said, I, I think I've already done it. Um, so if you guys are going to hate on this outfit, I just don't want my wife to get, because she does that the rest of the time. Um, that being said, uh, I hope you guys are doing so good. I, uh, I told you a little bit about what I was trying to pull off this year at Thanksgiving, that it's a big deal in the Hansel house, and I feel like I owe uh, a report, because a lot of you guys were emotionally invested in the whole process. So um, for those of you who missed it, uh, Thanksgiving's a big deal at the Hensel House. And this year, I took it on to cook all of the main meals. And uh, I, I tried a lot of things I'd never tried before. Um, here's the trailer uh, loading up as we were getting ready to leave. Um, the, the totes, okay, here's the Hensel thing, uh, the yellow things. When I was growing up, we called them Tucker totes. Does anybody know, ever heard Tucker tote? There's like four of you. You must have been from the exact same village that we were from uh, because they're called Tucker totes because you can either tuck them or you can tote them. And you know, well, anyhow, whatever these things are called, that's where our clothes are. The coolers in the back of the Suburban are filled with nothing, nothing but food. Uh, if you go to Sam's, the mobile app uh, says no more at $750. Didn't know that. Ran up to it, had to go outside, drop everything off in the vehicle, and then go back inside. Fortunately, mom and dad paid for it, so God bless. Um, so then I made, uh, the first day I made a brisket. Had to learn how to separate the point from the flat. These are all new terminology to me, uh, but we did. We did separate the point from the flat. We smoked it, and my very first brisket was so good, a couple people found Jesus. Um, I mean, bang a rang. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how good it turned out. Uh, big shout out to Monmouth uh, and Steve Kelly because he was tech support all weekend long. I called him, FaceTimed him, texted him, I hounded him. And it's okay because I baptized him. All right. Um, <laughs> then I did ribs. This is a problem we all have to solve. Um, um, Sam's sells their ribs in a three pack. And if you get two packages, you have six racks of ribs. And uh, that's my smoker end to end. And it wasn't allowing the smoke to get all the places it needs to go. And so we're going to need to figure out if I need a bigger smoker. Okay, just uh, uh, the wife said no. So I just need to know, I need to know how to navigate that. Um, I had to pull one of those off, put it in the, uh, in the oven. Uh, then we did, uh, the fact that this has not been like the predominant thing you guys talk about during the month of November is how good a fried turkey is. I had never had one. I'm 38 years old. I've known many of you for a decade. And the fact that you hated me so much not to make this a bone of contention in our relationship and not go, Clayton, stop eating regular turkey, fry it, because that thing was bangerang. It was so good. Well, we also did a smoked turkey. This is the smoke one came out, homemade marinade, also from Steve Kelly. Slate it. Now, I need, you to, uh, I need you to know this. I am not a good cook. I don't want to pretend like I am. I'm horrible at it. Uh, and part of it is because as I'm cooking, I just get more and more hungry, and the more hungry I get, the more angry I become. Um, second thing is, 
I, it's just one of those things I'm not gifted at, but I wanna be a blessing to my family. I wanna make memories with them, so I, I try. The problem is when it doesn't turn out right, I get heartbroken. Like genuinely, like I pout. Like I get sad all the way down in my soul. And uh, like the other day I'd made ribs and they weren't as tender as I want, and so the rest of my family's like, oh, it's good, it's good, and I'm just sitting there at the table with my hand, just looking at my plate of food, like you're such a failure, okay? It just, so all four meals were perfect. I mean, perfect. I couldn't get over it. And my wife says, well, I prayed pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah, that means that in light of everything that's going on in the world, my pouting and cooking are so bad that my wife was knocking on heaven's door going, God, look, I know you're juggling a lot of things, but what I need is I need you to send your divine mercy on my stupid husband so he doesn't ruin Thanksgiving, and I'm pleased to report that God answers prayers. Uh, Yeah, it was so good. Now, the reason why I'm telling you some of this is because my family, we have so many people show up at Thanksgiving, tons, and it's like there's Monday people, Tuesday people, Wednesday people, Thursday people, Friday people. There's people that come on Tuesday that try and figure out how to come back on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm looking at you, Woods. Okay, it just happens. And you can end up like on Friday, not Thanksgiving. We had 30 people at our house and 25 of them spent the night. It just happens. And you'll be in my house and you'll be going through the food line and you'll see somebody that's not us. Right? They crashed our Thanksgiving, which I think would be a better movie than Wedding Crashers. It's a bunch of rednecks and flannel just hopping in other people's food lines on Thanksgiving. I could be like the cheap Vince Vaughn. You guys would watch it. And so I'm going, you, sometimes you're going through the line at my parents' house and you'll see somebody and you have to ask the question, how did you get in here? You do, you see them. They're skinny and blonde, and that's not us. So you're like, you know, how did you, how did you get in here? In fact, that is the title of my sermon. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, how did you get in here? I am so glad you guys came to church today. I want to welcome all of our different locations, those of you watching online, inside, to those of you who are part of our inside family. Um, something very special happened two weeks ago when we were watching the history of our church. We had a little video And for years, we've had this ministry. For years, once a month, we have been clapping for a number, but it was the very first time we have ever seen a picture of a baptism happening inside. And when that happened, my heart was just full. And I immediately went, I cannot wait to get to heaven and meet all of the people that we clapped for that we never got to see. So inside, we are thankful for you. I also know that there's some of you coming in at all of our different locations today. You have friends and family. or you have relatives that are, that are close to or in the surrounding areas of where all of the tornadoes that hit this past weekend. And I was talking to some people before first service started today and just kind of how they're navigating and the things that they're thinking through. And um, I've already had a church reach out and they were asking some questions. So I just, um, I don't know what all we're gonna end up doing or be able to do, but I know that there's one thing that we can all do right now and that is just lift them up in prayer. So would you guys just join me across all of our different locations? Heavenly Father, I can't imagine all the prayers that are just coming your way right now. God, I can't imagine the families that are trying to figure out how to pull off Christmas without a home, the families that are trying to figure out how to take care of Christmas 
and they still don't know if certain family members are alive or not. God, I just pray that you would um, inject all of those places with your peace and your comfort. God, that you would um, allow the church to wrap their arms around the broken and the vulnerable and that they would be your hands and feet. And God, show us how we can best participate. In your name I pray, amen. Today I wanna answer three questions. Question one, does God care about my sin? Question two, does God love me? And question three, how do I get into heaven? Before I can answer those three questions, we need to go back in time and I need to bore you for about 12 minutes, okay? We're gonna go back in the Old Testament, we're gonna go behind the curtain and we're gonna kind of build a case that will help us answer these three questions at the very end of my message. It starts in the Garden of Eden, right in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. God has created Adam and Eve, they are living in perfect divine harmony, and Adam and Eve sin, and they stitch together for themselves um, clothes made of fig leaves because they, as a result of their sin, they are convicted, they are ashamed, they are embarrassed, they realize their nakedness, and so they provide a temporary covering. And God comes to them and says, hey, why are you hiding? They're like, we're naked and we sinned. And so God kills an animal and he makes clothing for them to cover their shame. Then fast forward to when the Israelites are under the oppression of the Egyptians, they're their slaves. And we're coming up on the 10th plague and the Israelites are instructed to go and take a lamb or goat that was perfect without blemish or defect and they were to slaughter it. And then they were to take the blood and they were to cover the doorposts or the door frames of their house. And when God would see the blood of that house, he would, he would pass over that house and would not bring judgment on that house. He would see the blood and he would pass over. And then uh, fast forward into the Israelites are in the desert. And uh, while they are in the desert, God tells them that they need to make a tabernacle. Now, tabernacle is a super spiritual word for tent. Everybody say tent. Yeah, now you know what it is. Uh, and don't think like, you know, Cabela's uh, or Bass Pro Shop tent. Think like wedding tent for, you know, a football stadium. Like it's a huge tent. And eventually it would become the temple. And the reason they were to create this was it was gonna be a place where God would send his presence to connect with his people. Sounds crazy, it was crazy, that God would come down and connect with his people. And inside of this tabernacle, inside of this temple, the people would be able to get temporary forgiveness of their sins. Temporary forgiveness for their sins. The easiest way to think of it is to think of it at like one of our different locations. All of you are joining, for the most part, at one of our locations. Think of a tabernacle as the physical location where you are presently watching this message. It has walls that define it. There is a place that is the church and there's a place that isn't. There was a place that was the temple, a place that wasn't. A place that was holy and a place that wasn't. There was a wall that separated the people from the holiness of God, and there was a door that you entered to go into the tabernacle or into the temple. And when you entered into the door, you would find this altar of burnt offering. And it was at this altar that the priests would uh, sacrifice animals on behalf of the people. And you're going, well, why would we do that? Well, Leviticus chapter 17 tells us 
For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And this kind of brings up another big Bible word. The Bible word is atonement. Atonement is really simple. It is the role of a sacrifice in covering the sins of the people. It is the paying the debt that was owed and making things right. And they did this through the burnt offering. When I was in high school, uh, I, I think I've shared this story with some of you, I've not always been a Jesus follower. And so I'm, I, I did profoundly stupid things um, in high school. And one of the nights, I was hanging out with a buddy, and we came across this uh, car that looked like it had been abandoned in a cornfield. And we had a couple girls with us, and they had a, a new technology, a little small video camera. And so they videotaped us uh, beating this car. And we ripped the doors off, tried to flip it on its hood. He jumped off my shoulders through the sunroof. We just destroyed this thing out in the middle of a cornfield because um, I am a redneck. And um, a couple weeks later, I'm at a party uh, at a rich person's house, and they have a nice big flat screen TV. And I'm in one room, and all of a sudden, I hear my voice in another room. And they were playing the video on the big screen of me and my friend destroying this car. Come to find out, someone kind of raises their hand like, I, I, think, I think that car was supposed to be mine. And come to find out, as, as I remember the story, uh, it was supposed to be someone's 16th birthday present, and they had kept it hidden from them. And what I thought was an abandoned car was a future gift. So that happened. And so I went home and I told my parents, you know, look what you raised. And uh, my dad took me to their house and sat me down with their parents. And I apologized for destroying the car. And my dad said that he was a Christian. And he looked at them and says, because I'm a Christian, the Bible says that if you owe somebody, you need to pay it back seven times. I need to know how much the car was. My dad wrote a check for seven times the price of what they bought the car for. He says, the other reason why I'm doing this is because when you think of my son, I don't want you to think of his sin, I want you to think of the financial windfall. My dad was atoning for my sins. Not only did he pay for my sin, but he redeemed my relationship with them. Because how can you be mad when you get seven times back what was taken? He atoned for me. Now my dad was not a rich man. This wasn't like, this, didn't, this was not free to him. This, was, this cost him dearly. And I don't know if it was a $300 car or a $1,000 car. All I know is, is I was sitting next to a really honorable father and I was a wretched son. And he picked out his checkbook and he said, what is it gonna take? That's atonement. And when you walked into the altar of burnt offering, that was what it did, is it, you paid for your sins. And if you walked past that, you would find yourself at a big, giant basin filled with water. And this is where the priests would wash themselves and cleanse themselves to go about the duties in the temple. And the reason why they would do all of this is because you cannot be in the presence of God and not be 
clean. You needed to cleanse yourselves before they would meet with God. And then there was the holy place. And in the holy place, there was the table of bread and presence. And I know that that sounds weird, and that's because it was. But the reason why they had the, the table of bread and presence was it had 12 loaves of bread, and it was to remind them that God was there and that he was a provider and that he had taken care of them in the desert. And then there was a lampstand, and you're never gonna guess this. Guess what the lampstand did? Uh, it gave light to the, everything that was happening in the room. Okay, now you guys are like, oh, I think I get it. Lampstand. So it was there, and the reason that was there was to remind you that God was there and that he was giving light to what was happening, that his presence was there. And then there was the, there was the um, altar of incense where they would... Uh, light incense and it would rise up and it was supposed to be the people's prayers rising as a fragrant offering into the nostrils of God. And then you found yourself at the most holy place. In front of it was a big curtain, 60 feet uh, tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick. Rumor has it, it took 300 priests to put it in place. Think of it as the stage at all of our different locations. You're in the temple or you're in the tabernacle, but there's a, a place that's set apart, that's sacred, that not everybody gets to come up on. And, behind, and there's a huge curtain in front of it. Except for us being up here all the time wasn't what happened. Only one time a year would the high priest go behind the curtain, and, he, and when he went behind the curtain, there would be the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant is an ornate box, and inside of it, it had a couple of things. It had some manna that they had when they were in the desert when God was providing for them. It had Aaron's staff, which budded, which showed the sign of the Levitical priesthood. And then it had the Ten Commandments. And on top of this Ark of the Covenant, there was this huge lid that had two cherubim, or think angels, even though that's not what they were, put them there. And in between these two cherubim would be where the presence of God would dwell and he would meet with his people in that place. And this entire sacrificial system was set up. Everything I just described to you was put in place so people could receive forgiveness of their sins. All the blood, all the sacrifice, all the priests, all of it, was designed so people could have a right relationship with God. And once a year, the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of a bull and the blood of a, of a goat on the mercy seat, on the seat of atonement. And then he would go and he would grab another goat and he would take that goat and he'd put his hands on it and symbolically, he would place all of the sins of the people on the goat and then they would lead the goat away, never to be seen again. And it makes you think of what it says in Psalm. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions, our sin from us. And so the people were covered by the blood and the goat was led away, never to be seen again. And then Jesus steps onto the scene. And John the Baptist gives so much away when he sees him. He says this in John chapter 1, verse 21, 21 or 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I wanna take just a second and I want you to go through the entire temple complex, the entire sacrificial system, what we just did, but I want you to look at it through the lens of Jesus. 
there's a door to enter the temple and Jesus says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. You find yourself at the altar of burnt offering and this is where the sacrifices take place and look what it says in Hebrews chapter nine. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So for you and I, we cannot experience forgiveness unless something sheds its blood. Let's keep going in the text. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, every single one of us, at some point, we will die and we will be judged. So Christ was sacrificed one time to take away the sins of many. Jesus shows up and he takes away the sins. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin. So this is the first time. This ugly Christmas sweater is us celebrating the first time that Jesus showed up. When he came here, and why did he come? He came to take away the sins of the people. But the second time he comes back, he's not coming to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Who are those that are waiting for him? Those who have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior. And then you find yourself, you leave the, the altar of burnt offering and you find yourself at the water basin and you where people are washed and made clean, and you might think of 1 John chapter one, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin, and then you find yourself at the holy place, and you see the bread of presence, and you recall that Jesus says in John chapter six, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, and then you find yourself at the lampstand, and you remember that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, and then you see the altar of incense, and some of you might be going, the altar of incense, how does that relate to Christ? Let me tell you, in 2 Corinthians chapter two, it says this, for to God, we are, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, that through Christ's sacrifice, he has purified and cleansed us in such a way that we are a pleasing aroma to him, and now you find yourself standing at the holy of holies, and inside is the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant is the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is the only one to ever perfectly fulfill the Ten Commandments. You see the manna that, of, of how God provided for them in the desert. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And you see Aaron's shepherd's rod where he led them out of Israel. And you go, Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the shepherd's rod who leads us out of captivity to sin and into freedom and ultimately into heaven. And then you realize that Jesus is also the high priest who offers the sacrifice on behalf of the people. And Jesus is the goat, the blood that was sacrificed that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And then you realize that Jesus is also the scapegoat, the one upon whom all of the sins were placed and sent off to be a curse on our behalf. No wonder the New Testament writers in every single book of the New Testament go out of their way to make a really big deal about Jesus came to pay for our sins. He came to bring salvation. Let me prove it to you. In 
uh, Matthew, Jesus is the Messiah. And Mark, he is the suffering servant who gives his life as a ransom for many. He's paying for something to get something in return. In Luke, he's the horn of salvation. In John, he's the lamb of God. In Acts, Jesus is the one who buys us back with his blood. In Romans, he's the justifier and deliverer. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the one who died for all. In Galatians, he is the one who sets us free and the one who became a curse for us. In Ephesians, he's the one who purchased our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Philippians, he is the one who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In Colossians, he is the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator and the king of ages. In Titus, he's the blessed hope and our great God and savior. In Hebrews, he's the great high priest. In James, he's the one who's full of compassion and mercy. In First and Second Peter, he is the precious redeemer, a lamb without blemish, or defect. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is the one who lavishes his love on his children. In Jude, he is the one who is able to keep you from falling, the one to whom is due all glory and majesty, power and authority. And in Revelation, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the conquering king. He is the redeemer of souls, the bridegroom of the church, and the bright and morning star. The Bible cannot get over this fact that Jesus came to atone for our sins. I said I was gonna answer three questions. You ready? Does God care about my sin? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He set up the entire sacrificial system. He sent his son Jesus to pay that ultimately price. Every sin that you and I commit requires a blood sacrifice, every harsh word, every lustful thought, every act of greed, every word of gossip, every slander, every lie, every idol that you have set up in your life requires someone to pick up the tab. Does God care about your sin? Oh my goodness, yeah. Everything that you've done, he, he's the one who sits down and he looks across the table at the enemy and he says, how much? Have you, um, have you ever had someone pay for your meal when you went out to eat? I'm on a streak right now. I've never had anything like this. I, it, I mean, everywhere I go, I've just been profoundly, it's been nuts. I've never had anything like it. People are just paying for it. And you feel a little bit better, track with me, if you ordered without knowing that someone was picking up the tab, right? Have you ever been at a meal with like some friends and like they're sitting down and you haven't figured out who's paying yet and they sit down they're like, oh man, we're just so full. Oh, we, I mean, we just accidentally ate a couple hours ago. I'll just have like a salad and do you wanna just split an app, sweetie? Do you just wanna like maybe split it in fourths or something? Can we have like a half app, right? And then, and then you say, actually, Jennifer and I, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to pay for your meal. And then they're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, like a 24-ounce steak is where? 
Oh, you don't have 24 ounces? Well, you're, I see that your filet mignon is eight ounces, eight times three. Can I get three filet mignons, please? Right? Can we all admit just at all of our locations, raise your hand. We don't want to be friends with those people, right? Yeah, those people are bad people. Uh, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We need to be so careful that we don't become those people in our relationship with God. That the fact that we know that he picks up the tab should motivate us, inspire us, convict us in such a way. I mean, when you realize that he paid for every sin you've ever committed, every sin that you're presently committing, and the sins that you haven't even figured out how to commit yet, it seems to me that sometimes over time, the longer you follow Jesus, the more flippant we can become about the thing that cost him his son. What's crazy to me is that not only did he do this for me, but he did this for everybody that you know. It means that Jesus doesn't just cover my sin and their sin, he covers the sin of how I treat them. He covers the sin of how I treat the very people he's trying to reach. I can't get over that. Does God care about your sin? Yeah. Second thing, does God love you? Well, oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, there are two preeminent qualities of God, his love and his holiness. Now, we could get in a long argument about that, and you may have better ideas than I do, but I, I think I can make a really strong case that those are the two preeminent qualities of God and that every other quality about God flows from either his holiness or his love. Let me explain. I think that God's justice flows out of his holiness. I think, I think his righteousness flows out of his holiness. I think his creation flows out of his holiness. But his grace and mercy and compassion flow out of his love. But the predominant way that God wants to relate with you is through his love. And you might be going, but Clayton, that is not what I feel right now. I feel like God's a little frustrated with me. I feel like God's a little disappointed in me. I feel like God's maybe disciplining me. I need you to hear me say this. You might be right. God might be frustrated with you. He might be disappointed in you. He might be disciplining you, but that does not, ne does not negate the fact that his predominant way of interacting with you is through love. Um, good parents, this will make sense to you. If you're not a good parent, this illustration will make no sense. Um, okay, how many of you love your kids? Okay, this is healthy. The hands that didn't raise, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, okay? You, you love your kids. Question, have you ever been disappointed in them? All right, listen. I mean, I know I'm gonna be the senior pastor one day, but we're gonna start telling the truth today. No, you guys are like, I've never been disappointed in my kid. I saw your kid walk in here. You should be disappointed, okay? <laughs> you, you gotta get that thing dialed in, all right? So hear me out. I, my wife was sick this past week, and so she wasn't doing anything, and I'm in charge of feeding and cooking. It was a mess. And I'm on the phone with somebody from our church, and it's kind of getting late in the night, and I'm trying, I got the homework done. I feel like I'm winning. I've washed the dishes. I'm like, kids, go upstairs, take a shower, brush your teeth, get in bed. Now listen, I've said those same, that same phrase in the exact same order for almost a decade. Take a shower, 
brush your teeth, get in bed, and then we go up and we pray with them. I'm on the phone, I come up, and I go, have you brushed your teeth yet? And they go, no. And I go, why not? And one brother says, well, Dad, the other brother's been eating soap. <laughs> like, how much of your mother is in this kid? Like, I, you just, and I look at my other son, and I go, look, man, why was he eating soap? And he goes, I dared him to. <laughs> All right, look, look, look at me. Man, you can't dare your brother to do this kind of stuff because he'll do this kind of stuff. Like, you, you gotta stop. And then I go to my other kid. Look, man, stop eating soap. We got mega stuffed Oreos, like three packages downstairs. We've got Fruit Loops. We've got peanut butter and jelly pre-packaged. We've got ice cream. I'm dairy-free. We've got dairy-free ice cream. You don't have to eat soap. Do I love my kids? Am I disappointed in them sometime? Woo. Woo. Look at me. There is something inside of you. Parents, grandparents, isn't there just something inside of you, this heart that's just so full when it comes to your kids? God's predominant way he interacts with you is through his love. That is why it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Crossing church, does God love you? Yes, yes he does. Third question. So how do you get into heaven? Well, you get into heaven because God cares about sin and he loves you enough to send his son to atone for it. How do you get into heaven? One way, one way, by the precious blood of Jesus. There is only one way for you to get into heaven, and it is through the precious blood of Jesus. And one of these days, you're gonna be walking around in heaven, and you're gonna bump into somebody, and they're gonna look at you, and they're gonna say, how did you get in here? I thought you were a Republican. And you're gonna say, I am. How did you get in here? By the precious blood of Jesus. You're gonna be bumping into somebody in heaven. Like, how did you get in here? I heard you were a Democrat, and you're gonna say, I am. Well then, how did you get in here? By the precious blood of Jesus. You're gonna bump into people in heaven, and you're gonna go, I thought you were pro-vaccine. I thought you were anti-vaccine. I thought you were pro-choice. I thought you were pro-life. I thought you were pro-gun. I thought you were anti-gun. I thought you were build-a-wall. I thought you were anti-build-a-wall. I thought you were pro-union. I thought you were anti-union. I thought you were rich. How did you get in here? And you'll look at them, and you'll say by the precious blood of Jesus, you're gonna bump into somebody and you're gonna see him and you're gonna go, how did you get in here? I thought you were divorced. How did you get in here? I thought you cheated on your spouse. How did you get in here? I thought you abandoned your kids. How did you get in here? I thought you were poor. And they will look at you and say, I got in here the same way you got in here. 
I got in here by the precious blood of Jesus. And I know right now some of you are going, Clayton, I am not okay with some of the things that you just listed. And I need you to know I'm not okay with it either. There are things that I just listed that I am deeply passionate about, unbelievably convicted about. Things that I would say to be a Christian is to. But the blood of Jesus covers all of my sin and my sin is some of the things that sometimes people get wrong. The only way you get into heaven, there is not a questionnaire. The only way you get into heaven is by the precious blood of Jesus. Listen to me, that is how you're getting in. That's 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 how I'm getting in. And so if somebody ever sees you in heaven and they ask you, Crossing Church, how did you get in here? Well, you know what to tell them. By the precious blood of Jesus. Then let's start acting like it. We're moving to a time of decision. Crossing uh, family, can you just give me a, a, just a hot second? Like, just give me like two or three minutes, and let me just talk to the people online, and then I'll, then I'll come to you, okay? So don't, don't go to the bathroom. Don't leave. Stay connected. You can listen if you want. Online people. It's crazy. Every single week, there's like two to 3,000 of you that are watching online. And I don't know the circumstances of all the reasons why you're watching online. I don't know if it's medical. I don't know if it's personal. I don't know if it's because of travel. I don't know if it's because of fear. I don't know if it's because of COVID. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you live uh, in this region or if you live outside of this region. But what I do know is that it's just so hard sometimes to continue to grow in Christ when you don't have community. That it's so hard to continue to be the person that God called you to be and to live the life that he called you to live when you find yourself all alone. And I know that maybe you've been wrestling with that. That you can think back to times in your life when you were really on fire for God and you were really close to God and more than likely that was because you were in community and for some reason now, you find yourself with the desire to grow closer to God, but without the community to help you do so. I just hurt for you. And so what I wanna tell you is that even though it's not best, there's still a way for you to have community wherever you're watching. And right now, more than likely in the chat, it just popped up. If you'd like to start an intimate personal relationship where it popped up, would you like prayer? There is a team of people, really great people, I work with some of them, that when you click that button, they'll take you into a private chat room where you can talk about what you're going through and they will try to come alongside of you. They'll pray with you, they'll share your burden with you. If you live in our region, they'll try and get you connected to one of our campus pastors and if you haven't met our campus pastors, they are just some of the best people on planet Earth. And if they're not getting you connected to one of our campus pastors, they're gonna get connected to one of our staff, and they're incredible people too. And you might be going, but I wanna get, I wanna get baptized, and I'll, how do I do that? Well, listen, wherever you're at, you can either come to us, or we will road trip to you to make it happen. I would love nothing more than to be in that car. I hope you live a long way away. 
You do not have to go through this alone. And I don't want you to come to this invitation time each week and not take an honest opportunity to respond to God and see what he's calling you to do. So I know it's hard right now, and I know there's a lot of reasons why you're watching online and not able to gather with us in person, but I don't want that to be an excuse for you not to grow in Christ. Now to those of you in the room, thank you for your patience. I know there's some of you in this room that have never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, and that right now you are not covered by the blood. Uh, There's nothing covering you yet but it could change in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. The moment you say you wanna receive Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, he is poised and ready to give it. And if you have questions about what that is or what that looks like, there's gonna be somebody right over by the baptistry who would love an opportunity to talk with you about what that looks like. Don't put it off. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your family is the knowledge of where you will spend eternity. And the only way you will know that you will spend eternity in heaven is if you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Don't put it off. To those of you that already have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've become flippant in your sin. Uh, Maybe you haven't treated people as if uh, you had been covered and as if God was trying to cover them. Would you take just a little bit of time and maybe come up to the steps and get down on your knees or Or maybe right where you're at, you just get down your knees and just spend a little bit of time and saying, God, uh, help me to realize how much my sin costs you. Help me to realize how much you love me. Help me to change the way I treat those around me. I believe that those are prayers that God answers. I believe that those are prayers that God empowers. And I think we're the kind of people that wanna be the kind of people that do everything in our power to get as close to Jesus and to live for Jesus to the best of our ability. And if you don't, and you say, screw this, and you're like, man, I wish somebody else was here this weekend, I want you to know that that is covered by the blood too. May we be a church that just never, ever, ever gets tired, never gets over, the precious sacrifice of Jesus and the blood that makes heaven possible. Would you stand with me? God, we greet you in this holy moment. We invite you in here to every person that's listening to my voice, whether in this room or online. My prayer is that you would have a genuine encounter with them, that you would make the thing that you want them to do clear and that you would give them the courage to do it. That because of you, I can pray this prayer. Because of your blood, I can have communion with you. Because of your blood, I know my future. And God, I pray that you would give that assurance to everybody in here today. In your name I pray, amen.